to start today by telling you a story. Uh, it was back in 1960, uh, there was a young high school boy named John Baker, and John Baker wanted to be a track star, and he loved to run. In fact, he loved running so much that his dream was to be on his high school track team. There was only one small problem, and that is that the coach did not share his interest. Uh, the coach took a look at John and saw that he was too short, saw that his build wasn't right for, as a, for a runner, and therefore had absolutely no plans on ever having John on the track team. However, John had a friend, and this friend was, you know, the wish of every coach. Every coach looked at him and said, this is a track star, this is, he's got the build, he's got everything that they thought a track star would need, and so they constantly were recruiting John's friend to be on the track team. And so John's friend, however, was not interested at all. You know, um, it's like, man, if John's like, if I could just reverse all of that, because he had the heart, but John had, you know, his buddy had the gifts. And so John came up with a plan. He went to his, uh, his coach and he said, coach, if I can get my friend to join the track team, will you let me join as well? And so that was a decision that John would convince his friend to join. And then John would also be allowed to be on the track team. And so he made the track team. And John got on the team, and the first team race that they had to do was a 1.7-mile cross-country run through the hills of Albuquerque. And so this was, you know, that's a pretty good distance, especially for cross-country and also for high school. And so, of course, there were a number of other schools there, and the regional champ, the guy that no one could beat, was also going to be at this event, and his name was Lloyd Goff. And all eyes were on Lloyd, and they, you know, sort of a foregone conclusion that he would once again win because that's what he did. He was always ahead. I remember when I raced track, um, track and field, there was this guy from Massey High School. No matter how hard I ran, he was always in front of me, and that's kind of what everyone saw with Lloyd. Lloyd was the one who always seemed to win. And so as the gun went off and the race started, of course, it was natural. Lloyd takes off and he's leading the pack. And because of the cross-country event, you know, you're going over hills and it didn't take long. And, and the runners had all disappeared. And so the crowd just sort of, you know, mingled about and waiting for the runners to come back over that same hill on their way back to the finish line. And so a 1.7-mile race doesn't take too long to run. And so after a short time, there they come. They see one lone runner making his way. And, of course, everyone just assumed it would be... Lloyd because Lloyd wins these things but you guessed it because it, I wouldn't be telling you the story if there wasn't you know some sort of dramatic moment um, John Baker is the one who is in the front and as the crowd looked and here comes John Baker and he's way ahead and not only did he win the race he broke the record and he set a brand new record for that race now later on People went and asked John, they said, how is it possible that you were able to win and that you were able to set a new record? And John's response was this. I asked myself one simple question. Am I doing my best? Then I fixed my eyes on the runner ahead of me until I passed him. And then I fixed my eyes on the next runner and so on until I got to the front. And then I fixed my eyes on that finish line and ran and ran, constantly asking myself, am I doing my best? best. Now, 
That's how John was able to win that race. And we love these kind of stories because they're these beautiful stories and we love hearing people, you know, accomplish things like this because all of us love this kind of, this, you know, the, 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 the person who wasn't expected to win, you know, to, to the underdog, the person, you know, who hadn't, didn't have a single chance at all and all of a sudden they made it and they have this beautiful way that they went about doing it. But I'm guessing for many of us in life, it's not always quite that simple. But the reality is this, that every single one of us is going to need a prize that we will need to focus our eyes on. And unless we are focused on that prize, we will find it very difficult to run a race worth, you know, a winner or worth winning. And so what we want to do today, we're in the second part of our series, Bolds. And last week we talked about how we need to not allow our current circumstances or our ordinary circumstances to hinder us from being bold. Every single one of us has circumstances in our lives that will maybe, you know, close us in and maybe keep us from really believing that we're able to win but, or we're able to accomplish things or that we're able to be bold. But last week we said our current circumstances do not need to hinder us from being bold. And we're looking at the story of David and Goliath. And David is proof for us that if you want to be bold, your circumstances do not need to stand in the way of that at all. If anybody would have had grounds to say, this doesn't work, the circumstances are so bad, the circumstances are so difficult, David would have been the guy. David would have been the guy that everyone would have looked at and said, man, you're barely a teenager, you're just a young kid, you're only a shepherd, you have no military experience, you know, you don't have the proper armor, you don't have this, you don't have this, this Goliath is a seasoned warrior. No one would have ever thought the circumstances were good for, on David's side or that they were in David's favor. Everyone would have looked at David and said, yeah, you're absolutely right. Go home. You can go do what you want. David, however, looked at his circumstances, and they did not hinder him from being bold. Now, today we want to talk then <clears throat> about what motivates us then to be bold. What is the thing that's going to motivate you to be bold? Here's, here's something I want none of us to miss this morning. It is going to be very difficult to be bold for no reason. It is going to be very difficult to be bold for no reason. Few people take a risk without a reward in mind. Few people are going to go outside of themselves in the sense of accomplishing something that is beyond their capability or beyond what seems natural without having some sort of reward in mind, without having some sort of goal or some purpose or something to accomplish. David clearly had a goal, a goal that he saw. If our plan is to take a risk for no reason, the likelihood of us following through on that is extremely limited. People normally do not take risks for no reason. So as I read this section of the story today, we told you last week we're not going to read the whole story in one, uh, in one shot. We're just going to take glimpses out of it here and there. I want you to listen carefully today as I read this section to what was the thing that got David's attention. What was the thing that David seemed to fixate on and say, okay, tell me about that again, because there was this one thing, this one thing that you're going to see over and over, uh, come up a couple times, that David is absolutely, it gets his attention. It's the thing that he focuses on. So if you have your Bibles with you or your version app, you can go there and follow along. 1 Samuel chapter 17, <clears throat> verses 25. Now the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man comes, uh, uh, keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. So all of the soldiers understood that Goliath was doing something extremely inappropriate. 
The king will give, will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. David asked the men standing near him, What will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine, Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, This is what will be done for the man who kills him. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? With whom have you left those few in the, sheep in the wilderness? I know, you, I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down here only to watch the battle. David's response is, Now what have I done? Doesn't it sound like a little brother? Now what have I done? David said, Can't I even speak? He then turned away, uh, away to someone else and brought up the same matter again. And the men answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. I don't know if you caught it. There's one thing that David asked about a, few a couple of times. The situation had become so desperate, so desperate that King Saul was offering a three-part bribe or a three-part reward. It included cash, it included a princess, his own daughter, and it included no more taxes. That will get the attention of almost any Mennonite man. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> if you're not Mennonite, that gets your attention as well. I guarantee you. But in this room, I'm, I saw a few of you, no more taxes. Hmm, I might just want to die for that, you know. But this is something that gets David's attention. And here is Saul. He is so absolutely desperate because nobody is stepping forward to fight this Goliath. Now, as we mentioned last week, Goliath is making these threats. He went on for like 40 days, and he's making these threats, and he's coming out giving the same speech over and over and over. And we don't know when Saul makes the offer, but what we do know is that the soldiers sliced. None of them are like, man, that is worth going out there and fighting for. None of them were looking at Dave's reward, no matter how amazing it seemed to be, they just walked right past it because it wasn't something that caught their eye. But it got David's attention. He was so interested, he actually asks about it twice. Even his older brother, he, his brother, when he told him to go home, David goes right back and asks the people around him again, tell me again, what will be done for the person who kills Goliath? Instead, David was focused on this prize. Regardless of what people around him said, he was focused on this prize. Now I think we can easily over-spiritualize the story of David and Goliath, and, and I'm not taking anything away from it, but it seems to me that initially at least, the thing that gets David's attention, the thing that makes him ask, what's in it for the person who fights, is that prize. There's something about that prize that seems to be the motivator that gets David to go above what he would have maybe otherwise done. David's heart was in the right place. But this prize by Saul that Saul offered seemed to be the key step towards getting David onto the battlefield with Goliath. I want us to wrestle with that for a moment. Because if, 
if for David it was one particular reward or one particular prize that caused him to go and do something beyond what he would have maybe normally done, I wonder if there's a lesson in that for you and I. I wonder if you and I maybe need to stop for a moment and say, is there something that I could be fighting for? Is there something that I could maybe aim my life towards? Is there something that I should be focusing on? Is there a prize in my life that I'm overlooking? Why is it that maybe someone else would be inspired by this, but I have done absolutely nothing with it? So just a few questions. Are you setting goals in your life? Do you have something to work towards? Do you reward yourself for your hard work? If you don't have a prize in place, like I said before, if there's no prize in your life, it is difficult to be bold for no reason. Because when there is no prize, when there is no goal, when there is nothing to focus on, it is easy for us to become discouraged. And discouragement will set in and we will often find ourselves asking the question, what's the point? Why am I even doing this? Why would I risk any of my time or, or risk my energy or my money or, or whatever it might be? What's the point of doing this? This is why a prize is so important in our lives. Now, as I said before, difficult to be bold without a reason for being so. And in this section of the story, we see that Saul is offering this prize to entice someone to be bold. And Eliab, David's eldest brother, is trying now to hinder David from even you know, contemplating what this could mean for him. He's definitely hindering David from even considering taking up this offer. So why did David's brother speak to David the way he did? Why did Eliab speak to David the way he did? We might have thought that David's visit would have been looked upon favorably by Eliab because obviously if David came there from his father, Jesse, he must have come up with some gifts and, and rewards and, and those kind of things. He must have brought something from home and you would think that Eliab would be glad to have him there. But instead we see that he is absolutely rude to him and... and discourages him and basically wants to send him home. And David's words angered Eliab. So what were some of the reasons? Number one, he was angry because he felt David was insignificant, worthless in a sense, in this area. He saw David as someone who was insignificant and so he, he can't understand why David would speak with these bold words. Look at what he says. He says, why have you come down here and with whom did you leave those few sheeps? In other words, like, why are you here? And, and it's not even like, hey, you've got this nice, you know, job. You've got this career. You've got this important thing back home. Shouldn't you go back to that? Instead, he's like, who did you leave those few sheep with? You know, who did you leave them with in the wilderness? Come on. You're not even, you don't even have a lot. You just have a few, and it's like nothing important. So just go back to what you were doing. David, go home to your insignificant life. Why are you here? Secondly, he was angry because he felt he knew, David, he knew David's motives. Look at what he says. He says, I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. But the reality is Eliab didn't know David's heart at all. Eliab didn't understand the heart of his brother at all. He didn't even take time to understand that maybe there was a positive motive behind him asking these questions and being interested in what would be done for the person who would beat Goliath. Thirdly, he was angry because he thought David tried to provoke someone else into fighting Goliath just so that he could watch the battle. Look at what he says. You came down only to watch the battle. 
It's like as if Eliab this, Ab has this idea in his head that the reason David is asking these questions is that maybe one of the other soldiers is going to be like, yeah, no kidding. There, that prize is worth it. I'm going to go. And so he's like, the only reason you're asking these questions is that you're hoping someone's going to go out there and fight so that you can watch a battle. So Eliab's whole view of David's motive is completely off. Eliab himself was a tall man in good appearance, according to 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. And he may have even felt that David was trying to push him to do something that he wasn't comfortable or willing to go do. And then number four, finally, he was angry because David was right. I don't know if you've ever found yourself bothered by someone who's asking questions and you realize all of a sudden, this person is nailing this right, you know, he's getting this totally right, and, but you aren't willing to adjust your life or change your life, and suddenly you've become angry at this person because they're right. When you are dismayed and greatly afraid and dreadfully afraid all the time, the last thing in the world that you want to hear someone telling you is to be bold. And I think what's happening here is da as Eliab and the other soldiers are listening, they're hearing David and they're like, yeah, why aren't any of us stepping up? What's the reason for us not accepting this reward? So to Eliab, the prize meant nothing. Instead of ins it inspiring him, he was angry that it, that it inspired David. Instead of him searching his own heart, he tried to discourage his brother from even considering going out to battle. I remember a few years ago, quite a few years ago, I should say, um, I tried to get my kids to eat olives. And, uh, you know, a real, really important thing as a parent, you, you need to do this. Your kids need to eat olives, you know. And, and like most of your kids and probably most of you, um, you will tell me that you don't like olives. I love olives. Uh, you'll tell me that you don't like olives, and the reality is probably most of you have never even tried them. So I always say, well, how do you know you don't like it if you've never tried it? And they took one look at that thing, and they said, no one could like that, you know? And, um, and so I, you know, come on, you know, you got to try this. You, you know, you, do, you parents, you all get it. You, you sit there, and you sound like an idiot. You just, come on, how do you know you don't like it if you don't try it? And they're looking at you like, mm, you know, how do you know you won't like jumping off a cliff if you've never tried, Dad? You know, um, those kind of things, you know? And so finally, I decided, you know what, I got my you know, wallet out and I had five bucks and at their age five bucks was a lot of money now they wouldn't be like what's that you know um, not even worth talking about dad but you know I pulled out a five dollar bill and I said I'll give this to you or I'll give you each one to whoever eats an olive now, two of my kids didn't even blink at it they're like no way and I'm not going to name the one who ate it but he did it <laughs> and he's never done it again and he took his five bucks looked at me like that was easy and walked away you see it's weird how sometimes a prize will inspire one person but do nothing for someone else I wonder sometimes if you are not inspired by something that someone else is inspired is are you looking at the prize wrong are you looking at the prize wrong or is it not the right prize for you because all of us in life need to find something that we will be bold for. And for David, this was something that he looked at and said, man, this prize that Saul is offering is worth making this effort for. All of us are inspired by something. For example, you go to work to get paid. You risk rejection for the sake of companionship. You invest to make a profit. You try out for a team 
in hopes of being able to play. We are all willing for the right prize to take risk. And the question for you and I then today obviously is, what is the prize that we need to focus on? What is the prize that we need to fix our eyes on? Even Jesus was motivated by a prize. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 says, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of the God. Consider him who endures such opposition for sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Did you see what he wrote there? In the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus contemplated, is there another way? And when no other way was made available, he looked and he kept his eyes on the prize. You know what the prize was? Salvation for humanity. And that motivated Jesus throughout his whole ministry. And even in the most difficult moment of his life, he scorned the cross. He says, I don't care. Why? Because he knew what it would end, what the result would be, and he kept his eyes on that prize. I think that is an incredibly powerful lesson for you and I. I wonder if any of you here have people in your life who are maybe at times discouraging you from going after a prize. There is no doubt that Eliab's words must have hurt David. But he didn't let it hinder him. He would have been hurt by those words, but he didn't let it hinder him. When David was misunderstood and publicly rebuked by his brother, most likely the soldiers around him laughed at the joke. David did not allow that to be something that, he would, that would cause him to quit. Instead of quitting, he focused on the prize. Do you and I have people in our lives that will cause us at times to be discouraged or to, who discourage us from being bold? Maybe you are um, you know, looking at a prize and you, man, this is so exciting and, and this is something awesome and you share it with some of the people around you and they're like, oh, don't even bother, it's not worth it. You don't want that. Maybe you're the person who is keeping others from being bold. I wonder if you have people in your life who, are, who you are discouraging, who you maybe look at and say, man, I had a bad experience with this and, and it didn't go well for me. And, so, and I'm not talking here about giving good counsel or giving good advice. I'm talking here about the mode of being, you know, don't even try that, it's not worth it. Listen to this quote from uh, Charles Sturgeon. This, this, I read this this week and this hit me pretty hard. He's writing here about the conversation between David and Eliab. It says this, immediately before the encounter with the Philistine, he fought a battle which cost him far more thought, prudence, and patience. The word battle in which he had to engage with his brother and with King Saul was a more trying ordeal to him than going forth in the strength of the Lord to smite the uncircumcised bolster. Many a man meets with more trouble from his friend than from his enemies. And when he has learned to overcome the depressing influence of prudent friends, he makes short work of the opposition of avowed ad adversaries. Now, I don't know about you, but that hit me pretty hard. And I have forced myself to ask myself this question. Am I a person who uses my words to inspire boldness in people, or am I a person who uses my words to hinder people from being bold? Think about that. Because if Charles Spurgeon is right, he's saying that that battle of words between his brother and later on with King Saul was as significant as the battle on the field. 
Think about it for a moment. If his brother would have been able to plant in his mind, you can't do this, you're not worth doing it, David would have never gone out to battle. These word battles that we may experience from time to time have a tremendous impact on our lives. You and I will choose to be bold based on what we learn to believe. And if we have been taught, and maybe you've experienced this in life, where you were told over and over and over that you're no good, that you'll never amount to anything, that you're dumb, that you can't do schooling, you can't do this, you can't whatever it might be, and you have learned to believe those comments, you will have a difficult time being bold. Had David started to believe the lies of his brother or the, you know, the argument of his brother, he would have never had the courage to go on the battlefield. That battle of words was as important as the battle with David, in, between David and Goliath. Have you ever thought of that? Think about your life right now. Are you a person who encourages boldness in others through your words, or are you a person who hinders people from being bold? Maybe you discourage because, you know, other people, you don't want to see them taking chances that you've taken and didn't work out for you, and it's almost like you don't really want them to do that, and so you kind of, you know, keep people from taking risk. Parents, maybe you're trying so hard to protect your kids from all harm that could come, and you're doing everything that you can, and, and ultimately, in our effort to overly protect our kids, we're actually hindering our kids from taking some of those steps that they need to step to become independent. I'd like you to ask yourself this question. In your circle of friends, the people that you hang out with regularly, are you a group of people who makes bold decisions, who lives a bold life? Because if not, it's possibly possible that instead of encouraging each other to be bold, you are hindering each other from being bold. Because in order to be bold, you will need to see a prize that is worth fighting for, and other people are often going to try to talk you out of it. And if other people aren't making the effort to talk them, you out of it, you will try to talk yourself out of it. And we talked about that last week, and go listen to that sermon if, you, if you've missed it. So for us as a church... I think this is an incredibly important thing because we are on the cuff of having to make bold decision. We are on that place where we are going to need to make some bold decisions. For us as a church, we, as we continue to experience growth, it's important that we never lose sight of what God has called us to. We want to see people come to know Jesus. You, you heard the mission statement, leading people to become fully devoted followers of Christ. That is what we are focused on. And tonight, we're going to have all these people receive baptism and, and become members. That is what it's all about. Being focused on what God has called us to do. So we need to continue to be bold. We need to continue to see and allow God to lead us into growth. You may remember five years ago, we made the decision as a church that we were going to be a church that, that was focused on non-church people. We didn't want to be a church that just focused internally and said, as long as we're happy here, as long as we're singing the good songs, as long as we all feel taken care of, everything's good. That type of church does not normally grow. So we made a decision. We want to be a church that isn't inwardly focused. We want to be outwardly focused. And God has done amazing things in our church in the last five years. I don't know if you've kept track of that, but we had some visitors here that were talking to my wife Maria and I just last week. And they said, we are just amazed at all the different places this church is involved in. That feels good. 
That feels good because that is the heart of who we are as a church. That is what we're about. So we adopted our mission statement. And we said this was something that we were going to focus around. This was something that we were going to believe that with Jesus comes change and that we want to proclaim the message of Jesus over and over and over again. And so today, God is doing an amazing thing because we want to continue believing, we do believe, that Jesus said, I will build my church and nothing can stand against it. Those are the things that we, that's the prize that we have as a church. That is what we need to stay focused on daily. I heard this story from a man named John Streit. And so I'm not sure if it's a true story or not, but it's an interesting story. So let me, let me read it to you. He says, too many Christians are like the London bus company several years ago. And this was written in 2018. That transit company was striving for efficiency, but they made it their goal to all, so they made it their goal to always be on schedule. No other bus route in any other community seemed to rival their efficiency. So the question is, how did they do it? How were they able to be so efficient? How did they manage to keep such a tight schedule? Well, it seemed that if they were in danger of getting behind schedules, the drivers were instructed to not stop at a bus stop, even if there were people waiting for the bus. Now, you can imagine this caused some of the customers to be fairly angry. But the London Transit Authority released this statement to explain why they didn't always pick up passengers at the bus stop. Here's their quote. It is impossible for us to maintain our schedule if we are always having to stop and pick up passengers. <laughs> what is wrong with that story? The London bus company does not exist to stay on schedule. The London bus company was there to pick up passengers from one location to the next and then strive to be on schedule. I think there's a lesson here for us as a church. And there's a lesson for us here as individuals. If you do not have the right prize in mind, if you do not have the right prize in mind, you could easily derail your entire life. If your goal is to be safe, good luck being bold. If our goal as a church is to be safe, to not take any risks, to always be in our comfort, comfort spot, it will be difficult to be bold. But if you and I are willing to say, okay, what has God laid on my heart? What has God burdened me with? And maybe no one else gets it, but I get it. Maybe the other churches aren't doing it, but we feel this is what God's calling us to do. If we begin to have a prize like David, I'm sure it bothered him deeply what, da what Goliath was saying, but there was something about that prize, and I truly believe that. That was the start for him to say, I'm, I could do something. And then obviously when he goes to battle against Goliath, by that time it's something even bigger than just what Saul is offering. So I want to challenge each one of us today to consider our lives. What are you living for? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that we can come to you and that you lead us and guide us. Father, I want to pray. If there's some of us here today, we've just allowed ourselves to come into a place in life where we're just going through the motions without any direction, without any focus, without any purpose. I pray, God, that today you would awaken in us a prize. Something that you're laying on our hearts something you've maybe burdened us with. Maybe some of us have closed our eyes to that years or, for years already. 
I pray that you would rekindle in us that prize. That we would again say, there's that neighbor. There's that friend. There's that opportunity here. There's this, you know, opportunity for an advancement in work or whatever it might be. And that you would cause us, God, to open ourselves up again, to be led by you, to be bold, and to take those risks that you've called us to. We thank you for what you'll do. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. Let's sing a closing song.